0: What convicted me was that I shouldn't just be doing this on an overseas trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, it's a lot easier to do this on an overseas trip than it is when you're back home. I am attempting Yeah,
1: imagine if you like prayed that prayer. Yeah. You know, each one of us, if we prayed that prayer in the morning, you know, who yeah. do you want me to talk to? Yeah. Is that the person? And instead of it being like a, a fear faith thing, it's more so of a God, where do you want me to go?
0: I think what an honor that if we were to pray that, I think God would honor it, and what an honor for us to be able to actually walk that closely with Him. I've been harping on this this theme of, I say it almost every time I speak, but like, do you trust God enough to direct what grocery store you go to today?
1: Mm -hmm. Welcome, everyone. Today we are blessed to be joined by Tyrell Thompson. He was born and raised on the missions field in Guatemala and currently serves in the English and Spanish churches at Spirit and Truth Church in Orange, California. We had a great conversation while he was here in Sydney and he shared with us what it was like growing up in Guatemala and how that has affected his life and ministry. We talked about what it was like serving as an intern in the White House in 2020. His advice to young adults the impact of visiting an access challenge nation on his life and much more you may be listening but not following following us is the best way to stay connected and to not miss an episode just select follow wherever you listen to podcasts also we want to encourage you to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen it really does help get the podcast out to more people can be blessed by it now let's get to the conversation welcome to the podcast thank you for joining us tonight
0: I'm uh, I'm almost a little sad that I'm here because I like listening to the podcast, <laughs> and so there's going to be one episode that comes out. Where I'm gonna be like, well, I can't listen to that one. <laughs> <I'm> narcissistic. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Well, what what's that say of me? I have to edit all of the episodes, true. <laughs> so I got to listen to myself over. That's true. Uh, it's it's uh, it can be brutal at times, but so so blessed to have you with us, and uh, you know we've been friends for a few years now since you were in Sydney. Yep. When, was that end of two thousand nineteen or just the beginning of twenty twenty?
0: That was beginning of twenty twenty. I uh, moved to Sydney early January, and left about three months later.
1: Was the smoke still around when you yeah. came? Yeah. Wow.
0: Smoke and the animals just on the side of the road. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. The all the, the roadkill.
1: Oh, because yeah, they were getting smoked out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they're coming to the roads. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had like really. Like, the time that you came was the craziest time, probably in Australian history, to be honest, because mm-hmm. you had the crazy uh, wildfires that we had for months yep. leading into 2020. Yep. And then when you arrived, uh, we were just finding out about the COVID-19 virus in Wuhan in China. Mm-hmm. And I remember, did you were the signs up already when you came? Like, have, are you coming from mainland China? or? Yeah, they were starting to come yeah. up.
0: And then I also was recommended to... Um, to bring masks into Australia, but because of the fires.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so
0: I didn't end up using them for the fires, but I ended up using them when we, <laughs> we got kicked out. <laughs> in the airports they required. I said, well, good thing I had them.
1: <laughs> well, in New South Wales as well. Like that, so you would have arrived and maybe like a week later we had crazy floods. Yeah, I remember like, that too. It was just, it was, cra- it was a crazy time.
0: It was my first introduction to Australia and yeah. it was everything I had imagined.
1: <laughs> Did but you uh, meet any snakes or?
0: The first... It, the first week I was here, I went on a run outside of my apartment. And I thought I was seeing something. It was a uh, full-on just like kangaroo walked out of the... <laughs> walked out and then like a little baby kangaroo came up and just yeah. put an arm around it. I thought I had to fight a kangaroo. <laughs> I thought it was only in stores, just in the city. <laughs> and, uh, That's crazy. Yeah, it was. Oh, I went man. back, told my, told my roommates, and they're like, oh, we don't believe you. I was like, I saw it.
1: When I, when I first moved to Australia, and I think it was... Well, no, I don't think I know. It was uh, end of 2008, beginning of 2009. And you hear all the stories about the snakes and the spiders and all that. And so uh, my wife at that time, we weren't married, but um, her family lived right on off of a uh, bushland, mm. like bush reserve, uh, or like a parkland, you would say in California. Yeah. And, uh, there was a running trail in there that I would go in there and I remember the first probably few weeks I'm just staring at the ground, just waiting yep. for a snake to come out yep. and kill me. <laughs>
0: yep. I heard about the spiders and the snakes. And so every time I put my shoes on, I would like turn it into like, and like, smack it. <laughs> a little fun, and then nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up, like, oh, I'm fine. So like you're in Sydney, <laughs>
1: but yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's funny, but it's so good to have you back after a few years. And uh, you you were just with us at our national conference, which yep. which was cool. It was great to, to to see you experience that.
0: It was awesome. I think it's it's one thing to be at a national conference in the states, and then see a see a a different one. It was excellent, mm-hmm. and Stan Gleason was incredible. Um, the whole team was awesome. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. yeah, and it was awesome having you with us, and um, uh, and uh, to have you set aside time here today to come on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, You know, you've such an interesting story, an amazing story, actually. Uh, Your background, sort of where you grew up, um, very interesting to talk to. And uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background? We like to start out there on these conversations just to give our guests, like I know you, uh, a bunch of people in Sydney know you, but I'm not sure how many other people. (laughs) So just to give us a little bit of a a background of your story. And so we have an idea of where you're coming from.
0: Well, I grew up in the country of Guatemala. My mom and dad moved there in 1985, and so that that made my brothers and I all become Guatemalan citizens by birth. Uh, my dad is Canadian, and then my mom is American, and so we are confused, is what we are. <laughs> We're just confused. Um, they
1: call it like third culture kid, right?
0: Yeah, we would travel in the we'd be in the airports, and my dad would pull out a bag of 15 passports. <laughs> and uh, security would look at us and be like, "I don't know about these people." <laughs> um, but yeah, we grew up in Guatemala. Um, I was I was born there, lived there until I was eighteen, and then moved to the states. Um, Mom and dad's main work was really with the Bible schools. Um, the work was nationalized, and so there's now Guatemalan leaders that are in charge. But they were they're now more on the super supervising role. I would yep. say, yeah. Um, now the the role has shifted to Gats and Bible schools around the world. Um,
1: that's your parents.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, mom yeah, and dad. Yeah. Um, but like growing up there, it was that was home. I think people used to they used to ask us when we were returning home, and I used to look at them kind of puzzled because home was Guatemala, right? And um, we our family is uh, mainly in Canada, and so it, that was never home. Neither was the states. And so when we each of my brothers and I, we moved to the States when we were 18 and that had to become our new home. Mm-hmm. And so we had to adapt to life in the States, take in the different, different culture. It, it was a whole, it was a whole nother world. Yeah. It was um, pretty wild. Yeah. It was a whole nother world to enter into. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. I wouldn't have traded growing up in Guatemala. I love those people. Um, that was, we never, we never had to learn Spanish or English. It was just, that's what we grew up speaking. Mm. Um,
1: so this is a random question, yep. but I like to ask bilingual people this. So you you grew up speaking Spanish, so on and so forth. Yep. Do you ever like think or dream in Spanish?
0: Yeah, I think in Spanish sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in, I'll be like taking notes and I'll think of a word in Spanish. I don't know what's in English, and I have to like think through it oh, and, like, wow. and translate it. Um, That's wild. Well, often my my mom used to kind of complain. Our our high school was a lot of Koreans in Guatemala. Okay. Um, a lot of the it was like an international school. It was an international school. A lot of Koreans, and so it rubbed off on all the boys. And we would uh, we'd get in the car with our friends, and we would have a sentence with Korean, English, and <laughs> Spanish. And my mom didn't know what we were saying, <laughs> and she would be like, "Translate, <laughs> what did you just say?" Um, so we would, yeah, we'd have a, a mix of all of it. But there's also a ton of other languages in Guatemala. A lot of Mayan dialects, mm-hmm. um, which was the reason for starting. That the Bible school was to reach all those other people, and there was no way we would learn those languages, but they already knew it. Yeah. So they'd come to the Bible school and learn, and then be sent out. Uh, but a lot of the ladies that uh, that worked with us and would would be in our house and in helping, um, they spoke those languages, and so sometimes they'd rub off on us too. And my my oldest brother Anthony, his first words were in a in a Mayan dialect. Oh wow! And my mom was like, "Wait, wait, <laughs> I can't understand you." <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so, I grew up in Guatemala, and then yeah. uh, when you started university, that's when your sort of travels commenced, right? Because you you're yeah. in the states, yeah. you would have gone back and forth from the states for deputation and stuff into Canada as well. Yeah. So, um, but then you, you traveled a bit for your your actual degree, right? That's what brought you to Sydney. That's
0: when we brought me to Sydney. Uh, yeah. So Sydney was it was for a study abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember fighting it because I wanted to. I didn't think I needed the study abroad because I lived abroad. And um, they just wanted a a six-month period of study overseas. And so a couple options came up. Australia kept popping up, and I was really interested. Um, I had asked if there was going to be a good church that I could go to, and I was recommended Pentecostals of Sydney. Mm -hmm. And so it kept just coming up, coming up, coming up. I applied, got accepted, ended up moving here. Um,
1: So you were supposed to be here six months, and then COVID happened.
0: Yeah, right? it was going to be a dual program between Sydney and Indonesia. Oh, okay. And uh, the Indonesia leg got cut short. Uh, I was just there for a couple of weeks, maybe two.
1: Oh, so that's where you were sent home. It was from Indo.
0: Yeah. Okay. Indo. We were supposed to come back to Sydney too, but that didn't happen either. Yeah, obviously. Yeah.
1: So that was in Jakarta.
0: That was in Jakarta.
1: So you were studying in Sydney, Jakarta, and, yep. and got sent back to the States. How, how much longer did you have on your degree at that time?
0: That was, uh, that was about my junior year, I think, so I had about a, had about a year left, a mm-hmm. year and a half. Um, yeah, we got sent from Jakarta. We got sent to Bali for about two weeks, and then from Bali to Taiwan. Taiwan, we got on the last flight back into the States.
1: Wow. It was, <laughs> that would have
0: been wild. It was, a, it was a hassle, but we got on. <laughs> we were so thankful we got on the <laughs> plane, so everybody just <laughs> sighed of relief.
1: And, uh, and so now you're, you're based in California?
0: And I'm based in California.
1: Yeah. Uh, And you're you're doing ministry there and you're involved in the church there.
0: Yep. Working full time, working for a tech company, and then also working at the church, doing whatever and anything I can.
1: And you're in like a great spot because you're telling me that your church has got English and Spanish services.
0: Yeah. We're doing, it's mainly English. uh, But Southern California is so diverse and there's so much, there's so many countries there. And Spanish is such a prevalent language. Yeah, um, we felt the need that it we needed a separate Spanish work, and that developed over the course of a couple of years. Uh, we do have a separate. We have a we have a Spanish pastor. We have a Spanish team, and now we've, we've basically developed a. It's a whole other congregation at this point. Uh, we're still using the same building. We're still using similar teams and structure and and all that, but it, it has developed into its own work, and yeah. um, it's pretty pretty amazing looking back. Like growing up in Guatemala. I did not think that would translate into coming yeah. to the States. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't see that for the first couple of years. Um,
1: it probably gives you like an empathy with, with some of the people in Southern California that others may not have.
0: Yeah, I think it does. It's also kind of weird because I'm a I'm a very white guy, and uh, <laughs> they walk into a service. They and, hear you they speak see Spanish. A white like, oh my with god! With red hair, speaking Spanish, and they're like, what did we just walk into? And like amazing Spanish, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not like high school educated Spanish.
1: No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> but then they'll
0: quickly notice, and I think also if you can relate to somebody, like via their language, mm. they're a lot more apt to like connect yeah. with you. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we're we're going Spanish. We we do translate right now, uh, so we still have English people will come. Uh, but it, it has been incredible. I never thought that growing up in Guatemala would translate to life in the States, let mm-hmm. alone be preparation for ministry.
1: Yeah, and that leads us sort of into the next question yeah. where um, you know you grew up on the mission field. Yeah. Your parents are obviously involved, but yeah. you don't live your life through your parents' ministry, obviously. No. So when did you feel that that leading yourself to be involved in ministry, to, to be connected into sure. the church?
0: I think it's a, it's a common theme for pastor's kids or missionary kids to be involved and probably not desire to. Mm. Uh, I, I always... You don't I, really have a choice. You don't really have a choice, and so often it's not really yours by choice um, or yours by desire. Sometimes you do it out of just pressure, but I never felt that from my mom and dad. I never It was never a you have to do this, you have to join this, you have to re- lead this, which I'm very thankful for. Mm. We would help out wherever we could, but mom and dad wanted us to have a normal childhood. So we went to school, we played sports, we were on sports teams. We would be involved with teams that came down from the states. That was really the main involvement that we had. They wanted us involved because we needed some connection to the states. Mm. But it was never a you have to, and that that didn't that made us not resent it. I don't resent it. I neither do my brothers. But yeah, ministry in my mind, was something I really, I did not want. And I remember thinking, I remember remember distinctly one night laying on my bed and saying, God, I don't want to be in any of this. Mm. Um, I don't know why I said that, but it it was not something I desired, and I actively thought, when I get to the States, like, I'm done.
1: Do do you think it's because of, like, the the work that you saw that it entailed for your parents? Like, it was all in... All-encompassing.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's all-encompassing. You see, you see all of it, um, which could it's a. I mean, there's pluses and minuses to it. Uh, you see the reality mm-hmm. of of life. I also, I think I saw how they they gave their life to this. Yeah, and I, I also saw the fruit of it. Like mm-hmm. it's been incredible to see that. Um, I don't think mom and dad ever thought of. They didn't think of leaving Guatemala because of it. There was one time where. They noticed the effect on us, the kids. It was, uh, we were driving to church, I believe, and me and one of my brothers, we were playing on our Game Boys in the car, as we always did going to church. We were playing on our Game Boy. And we looked out the window, and we said, oh, look, there's a dead guy. And we continued playing on our Game Boy. And at that point, I remember my mom telling us that at that point she was she was a little scared for what it was doing to us. We were we were desensitized to that. So was that it, was because, that because is of a, violence? Yeah, it's just, it was a very violent country. It still is. Um, it's getting better. But it was a very violent country. We were used to seeing death. We were used to um, – we were shot at multiple times. We had uh, multiple bombs thrown at our house. But that was normal to us and – I don't think they wanted it to feel like it was normal to us. Mm. And they didn't want us to think that everybody everybody lived like that. But we didn't know any different. And so I don't, I don't remember resenting it. I just remember playing on my Game Boy, looking out. Oh, there's there's a guy there on the side of the road. Continue playing. And so they noticed those things. And they, they were really cautious to protect us. But they also wanted us to be exposed. And we were exposed to all of it. And we saw it. And um, you'll go from extreme poverty to extreme riches in Guatemala within a five-minute drive. And so it shapes your worldview. I think MKs have a, they have a very special view on the world because they've seen North America, and then they've also seen the extremes of mm. the opposite. And uh, they're empathetic towards specific groups of people. They're, and that translates to the states. Yeah, that's, I think that's also why MKs are they're very effective uh, if you call it ministers in in their specific areas because they've had that experience. And it's mm. it's not necessarily they. They've got their, like they've had their ministerial license for a couple of years. It's just they've been around it and they've seen it all. Yeah. And so they can translate that into yeah, their yeah, life yeah. as an adult. For sure. Yeah.
1: And so I, I kind of got you off track there, but right. when did you feel uh, that was for you, ministry?
0: I So I think part of it is, it's it's kind of been my, my testimony of I was involved with stuff. I was not actually in the church myself. I think uh, it's a... Actually, I don't think I've ever shared this with you either. Mm. Um, I did not, I wasn't baptized until I was 16. I didn't receive the Holy Ghost until I was 17. I was fully, I grew up in it. I was around it. I never accepted it for myself. Mm. And it's pretty easy to lift the part and um, it not be in you. I knew about Jesus. I knew everything. I knew every story. And it, it is a common story. But I was around it so much, and I I just couldn't accept it for myself. I had a lot of questions. Um, it's also one of those things where you want to hide it because you're trying to you're trying to not make. I think you you also subconsciously try to protect the family, mm-hmm. you protect the work, and you would see um, you'd see great families, but sometimes their kids were struggling, and I was struggling. And so I remember my dad picked me up from school after a soccer practice and he he began discussing with me that like I had not been baptized and I had thought about it, I just never did it. And he is the one that gave me a Bible study on being baptized and what it meant. And so I I got baptized in my backyard. It was just me, my mom, my dad. And he baptized me in the name of Jesus and I expected to come out of the water, be filled with the Holy Ghost, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it it took it was almost a full year. It was uh, two days short of a year that I received the Holy Ghost. And that was at a missionary kid retreat. Uh, I was 17 and we had those retreats every two years in Florida and it took someone sitting down with me. I remember being in the altar and everybody was praying for me and it took, it was Kendra Poitras. Mm -hmm. She pulled me aside and we went and talked in the hall and she began talking to me and, and asking about the struggles I had with understanding like, what is it to be filled with the Holy Ghost? What is it to be like, you're now baptized in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? And, um, she began discussing with me. We prayed. We walked back in. I sat down, and I began praying with one of my friends and received the Holy Ghost. Wow. It took some teaching. It took yeah. someone talking to me. Because
1: um, everyone just is probably assumed that you knew.
0: Everyone assumed that I knew, and, yeah. I, and I really didn't. And it it, it was just, I kind of, I think I maybe slipped through the cracks of looking pretty good. I, I knew how to, like, put on a suit and show up at a conference. Yeah.
1: And you, you were, like, well-behaved. So yeah, like. and well-behaved.
0: I wasn't, I wasn't a problem child. But it was just all I cared about was sports and school Hmm. and being popular. And I was okay with that. But I felt such a void. And ministry did not come into focus until, obviously, until the new birth. Hmm. And that is when it started completely changing my life. And it, it took some time. I think it's been gradual. But I came to the States never with the intention of being involved. I wanted to go to school, I wanted to travel. I wanted to be a part of the church, but I never thought I would get involved as much as I have. And it's, it's been very gradual. Um, it never was a booming voice. It was always opportunities came up and the Lord guided me. He gave me pastors and yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And in, and in these conversations I've realized over the years that it's different for everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody's story is unique Yeah, and, um, yeah, sometimes we romanticize the booming voice. Yeah, um, but that that gradual uh, way of getting into ministry is is more typical. I've I've noticed. I mean, yeah, I yeah.
0: think it's more typical. And it, it was also opportunities would come up, and I would always question. I don't know if this is for me or not, but I'll mm. I'll try it. Yeah, and it also was like it, if you are submitted to leadership, they see things you don't see, and my pastor would bring stuff up, and I didn't think I was one qualified enough to do it. Too, I was pretty new in the church, even though I, I'd been around. I was still a baby, yeah. technically.
1: Yeah, they always they would assume this kid, you know, yeah. came out of the womb speaking in tongues. Yeah, and I didn't I sure <laughs> Born didn't. Born in Guatemala.
0: Sure didn't. <laughs> uh, but opportunities would come up and then also ideas began flowing with the youth and different I would spot different things that, that I could do and it would be simple stuff. But that's how it started. And I, mm. I do think I do think God will give you ideas. He will use what you have and he'll use people around you. And it'll just begin building. It yeah. didn't start with someone asking me to preach. That that was not the start of it. Um, that has happened, but it started as, would you be willing to be a greeter? Yeah. <laughs> I said, sure. Then they said, would you be willing to take attendance? I said, that's all right. And, would you be willing to help do announcements? That sounds great. Would you be willing to come with us to the hospital and pray? That sounds good. I'll do it. And saying yes to enough of those things has led to where we're at now.
1: So beyond that, do you have any other advice that you would give someone who is feeling a, a call to do more? Um, you know, not necessarily having to get their license or anything like that, yeah. but they want to do more and be yeah. more involved uh, in ministry.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this question, and the first thing that keeps popping up into my mind is whoever is wanting to do more, do not limit being involved in the kingdom to simply operating at your church address. That is a. That could be a a great starting point, but that's not the end goal. Mm. Um, You can just as much be involved in ministry by opening up your home and having dinner with people. You can be just as involved in ministry by going to a coffee shop and meeting with a a new person that just showed up. Uh, Those small things are what is going to prepare you for ministry. It's also going to build your character. If you're teaching Bible studies, you'll be able to preach a great sermon one day, but Mm. you probably don't want to start by preaching a sermon before you're teaching Bible studies. Um, it's good. I think we're searching a lot of people will look at the, the outward and the miraculous and healings but those are small moments and they do come and I believe it and they should follow us but most of the time it is, it's it's going to be the one on one conversations, it's going to be small things that you could, you could see you could help with this or I could pick that person up from, from their house and go to church mm. or I'll bring them to my small group at my house that is just as much ministry as a as a full fledged. You work full time for the church. Um, yeah,
1: that's good, and yeah. and that's kind of in line with, with what you were talking about on Sunday. Yeah, you were sharing at yep. POCC. Yeah, you're talking about. Um, you know, we have this infatuation with the with the platform. Yeah, and the pulpit or anything that involves a microphone or being seen. Yeah, and you were saying that. Yeah. Okay, that stuff is is okay, but. Yeah. Where it's really at is in your walk, in your walk with God.
0: Yeah, and and the majority of us are working full-time jobs. And um, if you're in school, that that really can be a full-time job. But even looking biblically, I, I've studied it out, and they, a lot of them were working jobs. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them were working jobs, and it was a select few that were living off the ministry.
1: Well, and the thing is, is like we were talking about a little bit earlier— where we're based, like, you know, yep. I'm based here in Sydney. Yep. You're based in California. Yep. The reality is is the mo- most people are going to have to work a job because yep. the church can't afford to put them on staff.
0: No, and that, that should not be a hindrance for us. And that yeah. you cannot wait until you are full-time ministry to be involved in ministry. Mm-hmm. Ministry should be your everyday life. We are all called to be ministers. Brother Gleason preached on this yeah, every so single man. night. Is the priesthood of the believers. Um,
1: that was probably my favorite session from conference so Uh, yeah i might actually link that in the show notes if you guys want to check that out that was a great message she shared it was
0: amazing but you can you can be just as involved in ministry if you're a you're a doctor you're a nurse you're a businessman you work in finance yeah all the people we read about in the bible they were all involved in those fields they were in medicine they were in finance they were they were scholars and then they're also fishermen Mm. and uh they were mightily used and yeah, they weren't waiting for an opportunity b- to be standing on a on a platform.
1: One of one of my favorite stories that we don't really talk about uh, in church is how uh, Jesus' ministry was financed. Yeah, because yeah. he, he didn't have a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't have a house. Yeah, and yet somehow him and twelve men were constantly looked after. Yep, and it wasn't just like every time he's performing a miracle to get money. Yep, there are people that actually financed him. There's yep. scriptures that talk about that. Yeah. Um. There had to be people available. They had to have jobs. They had to have the money to finance that ministry.
0: Yep. I actually, when I came to the States, I remember having such a, I obviously, like, I honor our missionaries. I be, They are my heroes. My parents are my heroes. I've, I've seen it. But I had such a high view of, like, that's a higher calling than somebody mm. that works a nine-to-five. And it, it was warped for me. And then I, I moved to the States, and I saw the people that were, they were at my church, which is it's Spirit and Truth in, in Orange, California, Pastor Tom Koppel. I went there, and I realized that the people that were funding a lot of the work in Guatemala were from this church, and a lot of them led very regular lives, where they worked 9 to 5 in a job that's not glamorous, but they gave faithfully, mm. and that allowed everything else to happen overseas. That is a calling.
1: Yeah, that's huge.
0: That is a calling, and it's it, it has funded it, and it's necessary. Without it, it wouldn't have happened.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, know, I love how the youth have changed it from shoes for Christ to move the mission, yeah. and just gives yeah. you that that picture, that mental picture that yeah. you're helping move the mission, you're yeah. helping, you know, propel the gospel. Yeah. through what you're giving, through yeah. you know what you're committing.
0: And now I'm on the other side of it. I'm it's not as glamorous. <laughs> yeah. not as glamorous to work nine to five, but seeing the fruit of it, being able to give, and now now I'm on this side of it where I'm giving towards those things. Mm. Uh. It's definitely given me an appreciation for all the years that those faithful members that nobody will know their name, mm. but they've given monthly towards the work all around the world. And and not even that, it's it's now I'm now I'm focusing on, on North American missions and I'm seeing we're working, but we're funding this and it, it needs to be funded and.
1: It's more challenging to find there because it's more expensive. Yep. Everything you do is more expensive yep. in Australia and North America. Yep. Sure is. Yeah. Sure is. Yeah. And um, off the back of that, one of the things that I love about your story is spe- specifically, you know, leaving Guatemala where, you, where your parents had raised you. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to the U.S. You're studying there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not with them. Yeah. So you don't have their, their day-to-day influence. Yeah. And then you travel to a place like Sydney. Yeah. You you've been all over, right? And yet, you have maintained your walk with God. Can can you talk about the importance of having that personal uh, relationship, that personal commitment? Yeah. Uh, you know, when when you don't have others to lean on.
0: Yeah. This was something I had to had to learn on the go because I I really do think the the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost at the right time. Because it was right as I was leaving, preparing to go to the States. And I just started to learn all these things. Um, I remember feeling the isolation when I first moved to California. I remember calling home, saying, I want to come home. Mm. And I, I, I was done with the States. Um, I would attend services, and I often... I remember skipping Sundays, because I didn't, I didn't understand faithfulness. Mm. And it wasn't ingrained in me. And I had people at my local church that would call me and they would say where are you like we missed you what's going on i wasn't used to accountability i didn't have people checking in on me as as uh it I wasn't used to it yeah and so once it started happening i almost was frustrated i was like why do they care so much where i am <laughs> but it really was what saved me because i could have gone off the deep end very easily i think i initially that was probably the goal was i was going to get away from everybody checking in on me um but the importance of having a personal walk with God. I needed a pastor, and I keep I harp on this with all the missionary kids. You need to get a local church. You need to have a pastor. You need that accountability. You need the leadership. You need the community. Mm. Yeah, that's something I don't hear it talked about a lot, but you need those friends. Um,
1: Sometimes it gets a bad rap, actually, because you talk about yeah, how you, how you're well. spending too much time with church people. You need to spend time with others. But if you're coming from a, a background like yours yeah, where you – you haven't had that opportunity no. that, you know, like me, I grew up in the States, yep. grew up in church, yep. you know, I grew up in a youth group, so yep. we lived with our friends, basically. Yep. But if you haven't had that, mm-hmm. you need to get involved as much yeah. as you can. Yeah, right? I, didn't,
0: I didn't grow up with a youth group. We, we would travel around to different churches. Um, I think we, you probably are coming to the States with the mentality of like, I can figure this out. I'm here to say that you will not figure it out on your own. You will not figure it out on your own. You need some pastors. You need guidance. You need guidance. Uh, You need somebody checking in on you. And you also need people to push you because I could have become complacent. I I did multiple times. I was comfortable with sitting on the back row and not serving. And they would have allowed me to do that. But I was pushed to, Mm -hmm. like, hey, would you help with this? Would you do this? Why don't you come on up and sit with us over here? And that kept me constant checking in. I also, it is on you to allow them to do that. You could easily get bitter and get kicked them out of your life. Yeah. But I thank God I have a wonderful pastor. I thank God I have a wonderful church. They checked in on me. Uh, I think I said this on Sunday at Sydney that even when I came here to Pentecostal Sydney, the, the church moms would feed me. <laughs> and that also kept me around too. <laughs> kept me around <laughs> at church. They, they invited me over to the house for dinner. And uh, and my, my pastor's wife, Mama Koppel, she was always feeding me and picking me up, sending me stuff, giving me birthday gifts. And I ended up realizing this is my new family in the States. Mm. And it, it's not just I'm going to church. God has given us a great gift in the body. And we could either see it as as some type of bondage that we're trapped in it. Or you could see it as a gift that you're now blessed with a new family. Mm. And they're taking care of you. Yeah, And yeah, it, it's been incredible. My... The connection to having a pastor has guided me in decisions. I've considered leaving California before when I first graduated from, from college. And I was so frustrated because I didn't know where to go. And I asked I asked the Lord, I said, would you just give me the next three months? I don't care about the rest of it. Just tell me the next three months. My pastor came up to me the next day. We were at, a, we were at an event at, at church and he said, hey, what are you doing for the next three months? And I just sat there and looked at him and... It was exactly, he gave me some direction for the next three months. I wouldn't have had that had it not been connected to a local church. Right. And had a pastor. So, and when you're isolated too, you have to have your daily disciplines. When I was here in Sydney, when I first started, I had to be reading my Bible every day. It was, a uh, my, my, my classmates probably thought it was a little weird. I was getting up earlier than normal before we went off to school. I was reading. And then my weekends, it was a consistent, I had to make it to Pentecostals of Sydney. It wasn't an option for me, mm. and um, your mother-in-law actually helped out a lot. with yeah, that. Yeah. sister Gina would pick me up and take me to church.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. like getting getting plugged in and yeah. getting connected. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Like if uh, if you're gonna make it, yeah, you got to have others around you that are that are helping you. Yep. So um, I didn't know this. You you mentioned this uh, to me in conversation a couple of days ago. Uh, For some reason, I don't know where I saw it. Some reason I thought this, what happened to you actually (laughs) happened to your brother. That's what I thought. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, uh, that was me. So when you got back from uh, Sydney, you know, you graduated. Was this after you graduated?
0: No. Okay. This this was in the middle of it. Okay.
1: So you're still going to school. Yep. And then um, was it an internship or some sort of job or?
0: Yeah, it started as an internship.
1: So like an internship Popped up or uh, internship opportunity popped up at the White House while while Trump was in office. And you're just like, I guess I'll apply.
0: Yeah, I I was I remember sitting at home and I looked up. I wasn't involved in government or politics at all. I I still really am not. But I remember thinking I knew I needed an internship for school. Mm-hmm. I looked up internships, and then I remember seeing photos of, uh, of the White House, and I, I was like, I wonder if they would have a job for me, <laughs> and I looked it up, and they, sure, they had an application form, and I remember joking to myself, like, why not, and I applied as a joke just to see what would happen. I kind of wanted to see what the process was, and I went through the whole thing. It was an ordeal to apply. Mm. I did it. I didn't even tell my parents I applied because I didn't want to be embarrassed when I got <laughs> the. I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. I didn't tell a soul that yeah, I applied.
1: It's like the it's like the kid in high school that applies to Harvard and he's like. Uh, yeah. yeah,
0: I well I, in my mind I was like, I, I I think I said this to you. Somebody had to win. Yeah. So why not try? Yeah. And so I So that's like
1: a, a that's like a classic third third culture kid yeah, mindset, right? Somebody's got to do, do it. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to get
0: it. <laughs> and I applied, and I was like, the chances are so slim because they and the the requirements were very high, and a lot of them they were not looking for people that are still in school. And I was I was in the middle of my schooling, and I applied. I didn't tell anybody. I was like, there's no way I'm not getting it. And then just for months, I didn't hear anything. And that's when I, I I applied before I went on the study abroad. Okay, yeah. So I applied, came here didn't hear a single thing was in Indonesia. It was right when COVID hit. We were told we were getting sent home. And one of the nights I was in my hotel room, I know it sounds odd. I did have a dream and I was, I had a suit on, I was walking down like a, just a corridor in the dream. I knew it was the white house. I knew it was the, the government of the United States. And I woke up and I was a, I got a little teary eyed because I said I was like, "Wow, I won." It just from the dream. I yeah, thought like I forgot about the application. And I was like, "I'm going," um, and I didn't think anything of it. My phone was off. I got ready for the day, turned my phone on, and I had an email from the application saying that they had approved and I I was going to be going there if if I accepted. Wow. And they had the full steps of how to get through secret service and they had to do the background checks and i remember sitting there just crying because it was just a strange like little desire of like that'd be awesome if I tried and like I might as well mm-hmm. and I do think the lord will honor the desires that you have and I think he'll he'll give you desires it may feel a little weird um, I think I, I spoke about this even at uh, Central Coast that you have no idea where those ideas were coming from and it could it could it could not just be you it could right. be God giving you an idea to just try, and I think He honored that. Um, there is no way that my resume should have popped up to the top of that group. They were all master's degree students and, and yeah. lawyers and all this, and, and I showed up with a little. I wasn't. I didn't even complete you my business. You didn't have degree the undergrad yet. yet, and so uh, I accepted. Went through the process of getting background checks. It took about four months, and I had to drop out of school. I talked to my parents about it. They were on board. This was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And uh, my professors were on board with it, so I paused my schooling. I moved to DC, and even before then, DC is very expensive, and I was not about to go in debt for this. Mm, yeah, were you going to get
1: paid at all, or
0: no? It's internship, so it's yeah, like, no, nothing. Yeah. It was going to be volunteer, which I mean, I'm still I'm still yeah. going to do it anyway. Yeah, of course, <laughs> <laughs> but for housing, I remember I said, "Lord, if you gave this to me, and you want me to go, I need you to provide something." And one of my friends had a connection in D.C., and there was a room for rent that was normally about, it was over two and they said that they would give it to me for just a few hundred dollars a month if I wanted to come. And so I accepted, and we did that, and um, I wasn't able to tell many people I was there. Uh, Just a select few people knew. Um, What was amazing, though, was that I did have multiple people reach out to me while I was there, saying, I don't know where you are, but I am praying for you, Mm -hmm. and the Lord had Put my name on their heart to continue praying while I was there. They didn't. They didn't know I was there. And nobody had told them. Um, one person in specific said um, that they they'd had a dream similar to the one that I had, or in the suit. That to me just gave me reassurance that I was I was doing the right thing. That the Lord saw me, mm-hmm. and that He gave this opportunity. And now it was time for me to just walk through it and see what happened.
1: So, did you get to meet him? We. Yeah, yeah, obviously, because yeah. you're working in the White House. Uh, we
0: would, we would. So my position was, um, presidential. It was presidential correspondence. So I was in the office of the president, presidential mm-hmm. correspondence, mainly working with international um, correspondence. Okay. So a lot of the uh, foreign diplomats were coming up. I was, I was greeting them. I was doing correspondence, simple stuff of like a a diplomat would come with a gift, and I would have to, I'd have to monitor and do the paperwork for it, and say like. Hey, this is too much for the president to accept. Like we're gonna have to send it to the archives. Oh, wow! Um, different governments would communicate with the White House, obviously, and that came through our office. And so, it really is a glorified secretary. But you're seeing mm. a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so you would have met like Pence and.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, we there was a there was a weekly Bible study in the in the vice president's office every Wednesday. Wow. And I would attend, and I would take my lunchbox and go sit in the office of the vice president, and we'd have Bible study. There was a group of about 30 to 40 of us. It was amazing to see the corridors of the White House, the same one from those dreams. People were walking out at noon for lunch, and it was all the believers. And yeah. we were walking into the vice president's office, and we would sit there and discuss the Bible. We'd have a short Bible study. We would pray. Somebody would sing, and we would join them. Mm. I didn't expect that. Yeah. I didn't expect that. And then... Um, some of the fun stuff was that, like, we got to see the helicopter taking off, like, almost every day. And we, we did get to meet the president often. Um, I think our team saw him more because it was communications, and we had to give a lot of reports to him. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, did
1: you work with uh, Kaylee McEnany at all?
0: Yep, because she was in, in, the, yeah. in the press. And mm-hmm. so she was always... She guided us a little bit on how to talk to the press. It was definitely a hostile time. Um and I wasn't, I was yeah. hostile. yeah, it was, it was pretty hostile. <laughs> Re-election and it was hostile. COVID. I was, um, and... I was followed home twice. Did
1: you meet Dr. Fauci?
0: I did not. Okay. I saw him. He was <laughs> there often. Yeah. Cause
1: they were doing the, the, the yeah. Uh, addresses.
0: Yeah. He was there often and, and we would be there and I'd have to take notes and, and give reports. But I noticed the, the hostility of it that I wasn't used to, I, I was followed home twice. One time was two men met me outside of the gates. And they had seen me walk in, and they waited all day until I walked out. Wow. And they got on the same bus as I did, and um, they saw part of my badge. We always hit it, but they saw the chain holding it. They said, we, we saw you walk in. We know you're there. What office do you work in? What are you doing? And we had a we had phone numbers to call because the, the largest number of spies in the world is within a four-block radius of the White House. Wow. And, but then that also means we have the largest number of social, uh, secret service there, too. And so we had a specific number that if we called it, we'd have a Secret Service member at our location within 30 seconds. Wow. And so I remember I, I told them that. I said, I, I'm going to call this number, and they, they just dispersed. Um, so they, they almost followed me to the house, and I wasn't going to do that. I was going to go a different path. So I got off at a stop earlier, mm. turned around, told them. I said, I'm going to call, and they, they left. Um,
1: and that's wild. So uh, there's apostolic in, in the White House.
0: And there still are. They still are there, and they're they're in multiple departments of the United States government. I had no idea, mm. and when I went there, there was there's one lady in particular. Um, I'll, I'll keep her name out, but she was there, and she worked for multiple presidencies, and she was in charge of a certain area of the world for national security, and she was quite a high-up official, and one morning I opened my email. It was an email from her office, and she requested to have lunch with me, And I didn't know who it was. So I just said, sure, what time works? Like just responding casually. Mm. I didn't know who she was. We scheduled the lunch and then I told my boss, Hey, I've got a lunch with so and so. And he said, Who? (laughs) I said, I said, This is this is her name. And he said, You do not have a lunch with her. He said, You're not allowed to. Oh. And I said, I said, I do. And the her secretaries came up to the office and they, they asked for me to come. I met her and she said that she had heard that there was a missionary kid working in the White House. And she wanted to have lunch. And we sat down and talked. And she said, so I can already tell. She said, I'm spirit-filled as well. And she said, I've been, I've been looking for local churches. And we actually connected her to a local church there. There's multiple of those. Wow. And they may not be connected to the UPCI, but they're there. And they're, they're willing to work. And they're in the thick of it. And they need our prayer. Mm. And they've dispersed into other branches. And there are people within the UPCI that are in government and we need to pray for them, and we need to support them. We ought to be everywhere. Yeah, We ought to be in every business. We ought to be in every government office. They need to hear our voice. And if we're the people that are filled with the Spirit of God, we have some common sense too, and we have yeah. some things that we can offer. And I think we ought to be educated. We ought to have some say in these things. And a lot of it does affect us, and we should be able to um, equally affect it. Mm. But yeah, don't know why it happened. I think I think the fruit of it will come down in years. I think I was telling you that that it, it'll it'll come about down the line. But for now I was I I just walked through it and we'll see where it goes.
1: Well, another another door opened for you um last year. Yeah. You had the opportunity to go on a mission trip uh in the Access Challenge Nation. Now obviously I know we've interviewed a few people who are involved in in uh, ACN, so yeah. I understand you can't really go into specifics or sure. anything like that. But uh, what was your sort of takeaway from that um, from from that experience in an action challenge nation? Sure,
0: I was used to the overseas travel, and I, th- I think I was thinking of it through the lens of Guatemala, which w- I couldn't have been more wrong. the The preparation for it was. Um, it wasn't it wasn't fear going into it it was more of just a, there's an uncertainty because we're not in control of it mm. which really is a blessing because you you pray a lot more <laughs> when you're going on those because we yes. can't take care of ourselves if we're honest when you're going into that situation where you don't know who you're meeting what's going to happen you are leaving a lot of it up to the lord yeah
1: you're walking by faith
0: you are walking yeah. by faith and I will be completely honest we don't do that as often we we can I'm pretty confident in my day to day that I can, I know what's going to happen. And this was one of the few times for, for a period of a couple of weeks, I was waking up every morning, not knowing what was going to happen mm. and literally playing, praying, Lord, who do you want us to meet today? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to stop and have lunch? Wow. Do I talk to this person or not? Who's that over there? Do, am I allowed to pray? And what am I allowed to say? It was everything. Mm. I have never felt the presence of God so strongly, and it really woke woke me up. It was, uh, it's obviously, the area we went to was hostile towards the gospel, um, but we would we would, as a group, we would daily meet up in a separate room where most people were not going to be able to hear us, and we would pray really low. We weren't being loud. We would sing, and the presence of God would sweep into that room, and the body was ministering to the body. We would allow time for if someone had something to say and they would minister to you, you would have something to say, you would share it with somebody specifically. It was beautiful. Hmm. And um, the, the fruit of this trip, I believe we're going to start seeing in the f- next couple, next couple years. I'm hoping in the next few months that we'll, we'll be seeing some of these nations open up hmm. and the Lord directed our steps to meet the right people he directed our steps to have dinner with the right people and we would sit down for dinner and people would show up and we, we didn't organize it. The Lord did. Hmm. And it took the pressure off of us. We initially went in with our ideas of what was going to happen. That was flipped on its head and it ended up being way more beautiful than I could have imagined. And I'm, I'm very hopeful for this, for this area of the world. That's
1: awesome. Um, and, you know, like, I guess when you're walking by faith and you're you're trusting yeah. in God and, and knowing that the only way that it's going to happen yeah. or whatever you guys were wanting to accomplish, the only way it was going to happen is yeah. is through divine direction. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't, you, you couldn't just, you know, do it the way it's no. always been done.
0: And the what convicted me was that I shouldn't just be doing this on an overseas mm-hmm. trip. Yeah. And honestly, it's a lot easier to do this on an overseas trip than it is when you're back home. I am attempting. Yeah, imagine
1: if you like prayed that prayer. Yeah, you know, each one of us, if we prayed that prayer in the morning, you know, who yeah. do you want me to talk to? Yeah, is that the person? And instead of it being like a, a fear faith thing, it's more so of a God, where do you want me to go?
0: I think what an honor that if we were to pray that, I think God would honor it, and what an honor for us to be able to. Actually, walk that closely with them. My, I've been harping on this this theme of I say it almost every time I speak. But like, do you trust God enough to direct what grocery store you go to today? Mm. And I know it sounds silly, but I have I have prayed it. I've prayed it every time I go, and I, I'm praying it now. What coffee shop do you want me to go to? And sometimes an idea will pop into my head. And um, one of my friends, Israel Sanchez, we we work together with the Spanish Church. We'll go get coffee and we'll say, like, what do you think of going to now? And we'll we'll literally just say, you know what? Maybe let's go to this one this time. It's just an idea. And we'll go there and we'll sit and we'll we'll plan stuff. We'll talk openly about the Lord. We'll we'll read the Bible. We will plan our services. We'll joke around. It's normal. And somebody will be there and they'll say, like, hey, I, I overheard you guys talking. Like, where do you go? I've been looking for a church. That idea could have been from the Lord saying, "Hey, there's this guy at this coffee shop over there. I'd love for you to go meet them." Yeah. Why can't it be? Why, why can't, can't it, be? it be? And so we have the comfort of our homes and our our life in the states or so here in Australia. The Lord can direct us just as easily. So that that takeaway it it made me get down to simplifying this and and get the get the complication out of here.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I think if we if everyone listening applied applied that to our life, yeah. that would that would. Make a huge difference yeah, in you your would. local church, if for sure. Would. And um, I did want to plug this, uh, not to self-promote the, the PSCC podcast, but the, a more extended version of yep. the story of, about uh, your visit to the Access Challenge Nation is is there. So if you guys want to hear a bit more about that, obviously um, you have to protect a whole lot of things, names yep. and locations yep. and so on and so forth, but uh, still an amazing story of how God used you and the team. Um as we're finishing up here this is a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is it that drives you Taro when it comes yeah. to ministry? What is that driving force for you?
0: Yeah. I think the the driving force is it's a it's a common answer but seeing the difference in people's lives, seeing them change. Our pastor says the the gospel the gospel can be summed up in three words, you can change. Hmm. And seeing now that my my field of work is now North America, specifically California and Southern California. Seeing people walk in with burden and baggage and pain and anger and just hurt, seeing them in a course of a couple months completely turn around and then them turn around and help somebody else. And then that mm. person turn around and help somebody else. That to me is so fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, and so now when I see somebody, I'm, I see somebody come in hurting, I almost smile. Because I think, like, wow, like <laughs> we have one more chance, yeah, to knock this out of the park and allow the Lord to do an incredible work in them. We, I work with the missionary kids. We have these retreats every two years, and for some reason, I think I think a lot of MKs think that they have to carry on the work of their parents. Um, I we had a we had a discussion where uh, we had a just a talk with all the MKs and and I was leading it. And I talked to them about how I've worked full-time jobs, I've worked in government, and you can still be part of the local church. And you can still have an impact on the people around you without being full-time ministry. And I didn't know if the application hit. I didn't know if they understood it. It just, we kind of broke for the day, had lunch. During lunch, multiple of those MKs came up to me just weeping because they didn't realize that you could still be used of God and have an impact without being full-time ministry and um i think the 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 theme of what i've been learning is as you walk about your day you ask the lord to direct you you do what you can he will fulfill everything else um we work for excellence but um he will complete the work and and he'll direct your steps to the right people he will give you the words to speak to them if you're willing and um I think I think we need everybody. We need everybody involved. I want all the doctors. I want mm. I want apostolics to be in the hospitals. I want apostolics to be in the the biggest tech companies in the world. I want apostolics back in the White House. Mm. And um, what drives me is seeing the change. And I think each person that's changing, I don't want them to just say, "Okay, now I got to be full time ministry." I want them to go back into their world, but they're changed. And now instead of the world influencing them, they're going to have an influence on the world. And you've had a part of that. And so. Yeah, that, that drives me. That, that gets me up in the morning, and I, I see somebody coming in hurting, and I think we have a chance to help them.
1: Yeah, and I think that was like the amazing part of the Gleason's message when he's talking yeah. about the, the priesthood of the believers is yeah. that, you know, you don't have to, as you said, be in full time ministry. You don't have to. Um, go down a path that has been pre-planned. And we've talked about it many times on the podcast. And we try to get people on here that have diverse backgrounds and, um, are used by God, but not necessarily in the way that everyone expects. And so it's been awesome having you on, having this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And, uh, I mean, you're so easy to talk to, but, uh, (laughs) blessed to have you. You (laughs) (laughs) I try. Uh, I think uh, I've had, uh, about 150 episodes that work on it. So hopefully I'm a, a little better. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be learning from you. <laughs> well, uh, we like to finish up every conversation by giving the guests the opportunity to uh, share a parting word with the listeners. So it doesn't have to be along the lines of anything that we've talked about here yep. today, but sure. whatever you, you feel to share as we finish up here today. And, and thanks again for, for allowing uh, the time to come on in on the pod.
0: Sure. Well, thank you, Greg. Thank you to everyone that's listening. Closing. I, I, u- I like to use stories to, to illustrate the point, um, but in 2020, when, when the world did seemingly shut down, um, I, was, I traveled back to Guatemala, and I was there with mom and dad, and um, we saw the impact that it had specifically on a third-world nation where people didn't have food. And um, in Guatemala, you, you work today for your food tomorrow, and if you don't work today, you don't have food tomorrow. And so we saw the effect of, of everything shutting down in our, in our people. And uh, I call this the white flags story because people started grabbing white flags and taking to the street and just waving them. And they would wave the white flags in the air. And I didn't know what they were. And we eventually went up and asked. And they said, we're waving the white flags because we have no food and we need help. And this just became multiplying. It started with a dozen. Then we saw like 100 people. Then we just saw thousands of people in the street. Eventually, people were in their homes, and they, they'd hold a white flag over their doorway and just hope somebody came with help, and it, it just wrecked us because there were flags surrounding our churches. And it, it wasn't a pride thing of saying, like, we don't want these flags around our churches, but we thought if we are actually here to meet the needs of these people, we're going to have to get really basic, and we're going to to start feeding them. And so we converted all of our churches into just humanitarian aid, food distribution centers, and the goal was around every church, we wanted zero white flags. We wanted to be no flag zones around our church buildings. That's not a focus on the building. That's not a, an image thing. It was simply our mission right now is where our people are, there shouldn't be starving people. We should be the hands and feet, and we're going we're gonna to meet them. And so we, we proposed this to North America, and people gave, and we, it blew our minds overnight, the amount of funding that came in. We partnered with local grocery stores and we just began feeding people. We saw a greater increase in the church during this time than we did previously. And it was, we were handing food out to people and they would ask us, why do you even care? Why would you use your money and feed me? And we would say, we don't want you to starve. We, we, we want to feed you. We want to give you food. And, um, once we took care of their basic needs they would open up spiritually and they would say what is it about you people that you would do this we would share the gospel with them entire families were getting baptized in the name of jesus entire families were receiving the holy ghost this was during a time when our churches were closed and i take that application to say i think we claim to be jesus followers but i wonder if sometimes we're more followers of his moral teachings and the comfort of having a a like-minded community rather than we really are following Him and what He would do and who He would talk to and what He would say to them and what He would actually play out in His actions. Uh, I I do harp on it a lot, but I fear we've overcomplicated the gospel. And uh, I used to think I needed a really high, deep understanding of the Word in order to reach somebody. A lot of times it'll come through me giving a bag of groceries to somebody And once they open up and they they see that I love them, they'll say, what is it about you that you would love me? And it's, there is joy, there is forgiveness, there is salvation for the people that are around us, but I believe it's gonna operate when we operate through love. And this is not a new concept, but Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so my call is that, Love would be our identifier to the world.